Father, we thank you, Father, for this evening. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your mercy in our lives. Father, even as now we sit at your feet, Father, we want to learn from you. Teach us. Teach us, Lord. You are the teacher. There is only one teacher, and that is your spirit. And it is your word empowered by your spirit. Lord, I pray that you would empower us this evening, anoint us afresh, all of us, here in the sanctuary, to hear your voice. And Lord, convict us, rebuke us, chastise us, reprove us. But Lord, above all, Father, enable us to experience your love through it all. Thank you, Father. Thank you, thank you, Father. You and you alone have the words of life. No one else, Jesus. And therefore we come to you this evening. Therefore bless this time that we are together, even as we meditate upon your words, speak to our hearts. We thank you, we praise you. In Jesus' name, Amen. So... So we've been learning about doctrine last Sunday. And one of the four pillars, if you know, upon which the church is built is found in Acts chapter 2, verses 41 and 42. We know this was very, it's very, very familiar to all of us. Acts chapter 2, verses 41 and 42. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, that's the first pillar. Second pillar is fellowship. Third pillar is the breaking of bread and in prayers. And then fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. You see that? You have teaching, you had fellowship, you had breaking of the bread and in prayers. Fear came, God, godly, uh, fear of God that is, came upon every soul and many signs and wonders were done in their midst. And we looked at this particular pillar the pillar of the doctrine. If you were there on Sunday, the importance of doctrine. And we'll just re-emphasize that and we will try to progress from that today. What is the importance of doctrine? First importance, I mean, of the several things that we know about doctrine, the first importance is that there is a direct correlation between the standard of teaching. You need to understand there is a standard of doctrine, there is a standard of teaching and you... In, and you will know that um, teaching is compared to walls. And walls are to guard people from error, to know the boundaries. And it says in Isaiah chapter 59, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a what? A standard, that is a standard of the Word of God. That is exactly what we need. We need a a real, real standard of what God intends for His people. And if you low the standards, people can jump over the wall and get into the 
into the sheepfold and scripture says in John's gospel chapter 10, whoever jumps over is like, is a what? Is a thief. And therefore what we need to do is we, as a church, we always have to endeavor to know what is the standard of teaching that we are supposed to live by. And that's very important for us. You know, God is holy and his standards are not like our standards. We have any standard, but there is only one standard, which is his standard, and that is revealed through scripture. And therefore, there is a direct correlation between the standard of teaching that we know and obey and our deliverance from sin. So important. You see, the standard of teaching that we know and our deliverance from sin are directly related. How do I know this? Scripture says this in Romans chapter 6 verses uh, uh, 17 and 18. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin, we were all slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart. We didn't just obey, but we became obedient from the heart. To what? To that standard of teaching. You see that? There is a standard of doctrine, on other translations will use the word doctrine, to the standard of teaching to the, to which you were committed and having been set free from sin. You see that? There's a direct relationship between the standard of teaching that we become obedient to and our deliverance from sin. Very important to understand this. Therefore, you need to always ask this question, what is my standard in a particular situation that you face and it is Every day we are in situations, involuntarily, or right from the time we get up, we are making so many decisions. What time to get up? For example. And then, what is the verse that comes to your mind when you are trying to rotate on the bed, do some rotational dynamics on the bed? Okay. You turn this fight. I mean, it's right from the time you are waking up, you're making decisions. You know, you know, it's it's like a does the words go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider our ways and be wise. A little sleep, a little slumber, etc. You see, that's exactly. You, do you get those words in your mind? And see, you're making those decisions. You know, whether to get up or whether to stay in bed for a few more minutes. All these decisions, right from the time that you are waking up, you are making decisions and those decisions are directly related to the standard of teaching that you subscribe to. See, what time to sleep, what time to get up, etc. So many decisions and therefore it is important for us to understand what is the standard of our own doctrine that we subscribe to. You need, you see? Okay. Second observation is that there is a direct correlation between the standard of teaching that we know and obey and our deliverance from demonic oppression. Do you know that? A direct correlation. How do I know it? This is Mark's Gospel chapter 1 verses 21 to 27. And this, and they went to Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath day, and you'll see uh, the word immediately up coming in Mark's Gospel over and over again. They went to, sorry, they went to Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath day he entered the synagogue as, and was what? Teaching, okay. And they were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And let me tell you something. It doesn't matter what your background is. One of the things that you keep have to keep asking for is authority over your life. 
And Jesus said, all authority in heaven and in earth and over heaven, everything has been given to me and go to all the world and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all the things that I have commanded you. So you see, this is, this is how he taught. He taught them no boring sermons when they came to, to Jesus' teaching. Boy, he made the whole class interesting. No, no boring lectures. Nothing boring when you have Jesus as your teacher. So what did he do? He taught them as one having authority. And what happened? The moment he started teaching them, something happened. And immediately there was there in a synagogue a man with an unclean spirit who came to synagogue every Sunday or every Saturday. He was listening to scribes and the demons were also happily listening to the scribes, the teaching. Nothing was happening. And suddenly Jesus came and he started teaching and there was suddenly, this guy was becoming very, very restless. And what did he say? What have, hide, what have uh, you to do with us? Several demons there. Jesus, son of Nazareth, uh, Jesus of Nazareth, have you come to destroy us? I know you are the Holy One of Israel. And Jesus rebuked him, be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud, loud voice came out of him. Why did the unclean spirit come out? You see, when people saw that miracle, immediately they said, they observed something very interesting. Look at what they observed. And they were all amazed, so they questioned among themselves, what is this? Who, who was the first man, who were the first people who said, what is this? Huh? No, 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 no. No, no. Manna, exactly. You see, you got it. The first time when the Israelites came and they started having manna, they said, what is this? This is exactly what they said when authority of the word of God was established in their life. They said, what is this? This is strange thing. This is manna. And and they said, what is this? A new teaching. They did not say the miracle was was new. They said, there's a new teaching with authority that he commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. You see, there's direct correlation between the doctrine that you know and your deliverance from demonic oppression. See that? And so many people in Christendom still under demonic oppression, they're not Demon possessed, they are oppressed by demons because they don't have the right kind of doctrine in their minds to succumb to, to, to fight back with the enemy. Therefore, there is a direct correlation between the doctrine that you subscribe to and the deliverance from demonic oppression. Doctrine that you subscribe to and the deliverance from sin. Both these things are so important. Therefore, the emphasis on doctrine, as we heard last Sunday, it's like bones, it's like a skeleton. You see? It's what, it, what gives you stability in life. And therefore, when Jesus taught, whenever he taught, he emphasized something very interesting. Look at what he, what he emphasized. This is in Matthew chapter 5 verses 17 to 19. This is what they heard, the teaching, no? They were amazed at the Sermon on the Mount. They said, this is incredible teaching with, uh, with, uh, with authority. And this is what they said. Chapter 5 verses 17 to 19. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least, you see, you need to understand, obedience in the small things. That is what Jesus' doctrine will emphasize. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of these least, relax meaning lower the standard. Okay? Least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does what? The least of the commands. 
and teaches the least of the commands, then he will be called what? Great. In the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, you see, it is every teaching, by the way, if you see, there will be every time when you come to hear a sermon, there will be little, little things that Jesus will ask you to do. And the obedience in those little things will determine how much you understood what has been taught. See, you know, Charles Spurgeon made a fantastic statement. This is what he had to say. The best of men have always been afraid of little sins. Okay, that's amazing, right? The best of men have always been afraid of little sins. No, for example, Daniel, right? Little, I don't want to defile myself. And then, he every day used to go and pray three times a day. Three times a day. Open his windows towards Jerusalem and pray three times a day. Every day consistently he used to do that little thing. And one day they asked him to stop. He said, how can I stop? You know what? I believe Holy Spirit gave this revelation in his, in his heart. Don't be afraid of those who kill your body and have no power over your soul. But be afraid of him who will kill not only your body, but has the power to throw your soul also in hell. And he trembled. He said, I'm going to open. I'm not going to compromise on these little sins. These little sins have the capacity to destroy me. They all understood. Every spiritual man, if you see the progress of any spiritual man, you see that they're all people who obeyed God in the little things. Therefore, Jesus says, he who is faithful in what is least will also be faithful in much. It is not the big commandments God is looking at. He is looking at how consistent we are in the little, little commandments that we are taught. See, you need to understand the making of a compromiser. I, 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 this is, this, we look at a concept in the, in the New Testament when we go back to the Old Covenant and see an example. Look at the making of a compromiser, and his name is Mr. Lot. Look at his life. You know, he came along with his uh, uncle, and went along with him to Egypt, came back, came out of Egypt along with his uncle, but his heart was still in Egypt. And after a while, there was a fight between uh, Lot's servants and Abraham's servants. And this is what happens in Genesis chapter 13, verse 8. Then Abraham said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are brethren, or brothers. I have... Is not the whole land before you separate yourself from me? If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right hand. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. You know, and Mr. Lot makes a choice. He says, and Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like what? The land of Egypt in the direction of what? Keep the Zohar in your mind. In the direction of Zohar. This was before Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So he looked at it. He looked at the land of Sodom and Gomorrah. And he it's attractive. You know, grass is always, as they say, greener on the other side. And he got attracted toward it and he went. Verse 11 onwards. So Lord chose himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set toward east. The two men parted company. Abraham lived in the land of Canaan. While Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents where? Near Sodom. We know that. We know this, right? He first went near Sodom and he said, okay, I don't want to get into Sodom. I know those people are, what is that? Now the people of Sodom were very wicked and sinning what? Greatly. The sin was very great. 
So he said, I don't want to do those big sins. I will be away from Sodom. I will, I'll just, I'll not touch the world, but I'll just be away from the world slightly. Then what happened? Over a period of time, you know, if you make such little, little compromises like this, it's not going to happen. Over a period of time, compromise sets in and then this gets multiplying. What happens? In Genesis chapter 14 verse 12, they also carried off Abraham's nephew Lot and his possession since he was living. Oh, he was near Sodom. Then he went in Sodom. How did it start? Near Sodom, into Sodom. Observe the steps that he has taken. First near, then in, and finally in Genesis chapter 19 verse 1, the two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening and Lot was sitting at the gateway of the city. He was an elder in Sodom. So he started near Sodom, he went into Sodom and now he became a big man, the mayor of Sodom. But how did it start? You need to understand the heart of Mr. Lot. He did not sin a lot. But there was something about the Mr. Lot which will, which the latter part of Genesis chapter 19 will show us. Then what happened? The angels warned him, flee. This is what happens. Genesis chapter 19 verse 15 onwards. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot saying, up, take your wife and your two daughters whom, who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he became indecisive. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand and the Lord being merciful to him and they brought him out, brought him out and set him outside the city. Then what happened? And as they brought them out, one said, escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lord said to them, oh no, my lords. Behold, your servant has found favor in your sight. And you have shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I cannot escape to the hills lest the disaster overtake me and I die. And now you will see his heart being revealed. Next verse. Behold, the city is near enough to flee. And it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. Little, 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 little compromises. And slowly, in near Sodom, in Sodom, elder of Sodom, and then he ends up creating an Ammon and a Moab. Little, little compromises. Therefore, you need to understand with every small obedience, there is always great deliverance. What did I say? Every small obedience, there is great deliverance. And God tests us how consistent we are in little commands. Because it tests our own heart and our humility. I'll give you an example. Small obedience, great deliverance. This is found in Second Kings chapter 5, verse 9 onwards. So Naman... Now, this man was a man who was a leper, great general, leper, in, uh, from Syria. An Israeli girl is there in the house as a servant and she tells, if you are a leper, there's a one man, there's a prophet called Elisha, go there and he will you know, pray for you and you will be healed. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha. Elisha sent, to his, uh, sent a messenger to him, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be Simple command. How difficult it is. 
how difficult it is to go and wash yourself in Jordan seven times. Not very difficult. General is now very upset. Look at what he says. But Naman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abna and Farafar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he returned and went off in a rage. You know what is happening? His pride is showing off. And you know, God knows how to humble people. So he knows. And then look at these wise servants over there. Wise servants who love their master. Thank God for wise servants who love their master. Look at what the wise servant says. Naman's servants went to him and said, My father, if a prophet had told you to do some, ah, if he had told you to do some great thing, like giving him a, give me 25 million dollars, I will heal you. you. Would you not have given? Absolutely you would have given. It's amazing, isn't it? How much more then when he tells you wash and be cleansed? It's a simple command. But you know, in that simple command, his heart is revealed because now he has to strip himself and everybody is going to watch him and they know that this man is absolutely leprous from head to toe. Then what did he do? So he went down, dipped himself seven times in Jordan according to the word of God, word of the man of God and his flesh was restored like the flesh of what? Ah, oh, I love that. Unless you humble yourself as a ah little child, you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. You see, that is a little least command. How many times? Seven times. Seven times is a sign of humbling yourselves. How many times did Jacob bow before he saw? Seven times. Seven times. Go down. Once, not twice, not thrice, not four times, not five times, not six times, not seven times. Obey. Until you are converted like a little child. You see, that is what he's saying. Don't think great. God never asks great things from us. He asks us to do little things. Like the way he asks servants. You want miracle, right? You want water to be turned into wine? Simple. Pour it with water. Are, what is this? I thought you are going to say, let there be water and there will be water. No, no, not water. Let there be wine and there will be wine. No, 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 no. I want to test you whether we will obey in the little, little commands. And he didn't even tell his disciples because his disciples would not obey. They wanted to do great things. They wanted to be on his right hand and one on his left hand. And often Jesus will tell us to do some things which has no connection with the deliverance. What has God water to do with wine? The need is water, wine. You're asking me to fill us with, fill it with water. There is nothing, there's no correlation between the two. But you know what God is saying? Your deliverance is directly connected with your obedience in little things. See? I ask yourself this question. Is it difficult to obey the little things and we look at some little things today? How many of us have missed the bus in little things? Look at another guy. He's not going to take care of the little areas, little covetousness. Small obedience, great deliverance. So what happened? Then he returned to the man of God and he and all his company came and stood before him and he said, Behold, I know that there is no God in the earth but in Israel and so accept now a present from your, from your servant. And you know what Elisha said? He Refused. Please go home. I don't need anything. But then there is another guy. What did he say? As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive nothing. Small obedience. Great deliverance. 
And then in the same passage, small covetousness, great bondage. You'll see what happened. But when Naaman had gone from him a short distance, Gehazi, the son, the servant of Elisha, the man of God said, See, my master has spared the, spared Naaman the Syrian in not accepting from his hand what he brought, as the Lord lives. Oh, but he doesn't stand before him, by the way. Okay. Elisha says, as the Lord lives before whom I stand. This fellow says, as the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. So he goes. So Gehazi followed Naaman. And when Naaman saw someone running after him, he got down from his chariot to meet him and said, is all well? And he said, all is well. My master has sent me to say, there have, there have just now come to me from the hill country of Ephraim, two young men of the sons of the prophets. And just like, you know, many, uh, Christian organizations send reports to, one man, one man of God said, no? Uh, when they have like five people in the meeting, they'll say 50 people came to the meeting. You know, they just fudge. Uh, little, uh, how many people you have in our organization? Ah, uh, we support 250 pastors. How many people come to your meeting? Two people come. No, this is how they fudge. This is exactly what he's doing. A little covetousness. Two people came. You know, they asked for some silver and from some gold because they have to support their ministry. They have a huge school of prophets called fifty uh, schools of prophets. Several schools of prophets are there. They have to support their ministry, and my master asked for funding. See, and when it's happening, I mean, it's happening. You should understand it is happening in Christendom. So many people writing false reports to get funding from the United States of America. So many people. And you know, you need to understand how they get surprised from when, I, when we go to uh, auditing for our, for our church accounts. They will ask you from where are you getting the money? Uh, do you get foreign money? No. And they are absolutely surprised when they see our accounts that there is no foreign money. How can you run organizations like this without any foreign money? Because when every other Christian organization has fudged their accounts with foreign money. And it's a shame when you go to uh, to the chartered accountants when Christians have compromised absolutely fudging their accounts. Not didn't start stop start here. It started from Gehazi. They're all sons of Gehazi. See, so he said, "Oh, little, just give me what one talent of silver. Just please give me one talent of silver and two changes of clothing." Are what is that going to do? You want to support a big ministry? See, little, little, little covetousness. Little, co- I just get little bit for myself. I go into ministry to get little bit for myself. Little honor, little everything starts with that little thing. But the analysis of a man of God is incredible. You know, a man of God has got the ability to see hell in little sins. He's got the ability to see what. Hell in little sins. And what God has to teach all of us is the ability to see hell in little, little, small, small disobediences. Look at what happens. Naman said, be, Naman said, be pleased to accept two talents. Are one talent, take two talents. And he urged him, tied up two talents of silver in two bags, two changes of clothing, and laid them on two of his servants. And they carried them before Gehazi. And he came to the hill, he took them from their hand, put it in the house, and he sent the men away. And they departed quietly. You know what? It says in Isaiah, Woe to those who try to hide their counsel from the Lord. They think God does not see. God is watching everything. And the men of God will also watch everything. You can't fool men of God. You can't fool. If there is an anointed man of God, you should tremble him because he will see through your compromise and your disobedience. 
Then what happens? He went in and stood before his master and Elisha said, Where have you been, Gehazi? And he said, Your servant went. You see, little lie, little covetousness, little lie. This is starting a chain reaction now. And he sees the little covetousness and he sees the little lie and he tells Gehazi's future. You know what he says? But he said to him, Did not my heart go when the man turned from his chariot to meet you? Look at this. Was it a time to accept money, garments, olive orchards, vineyards, sheep, oxen, mill, servants, female, servants. Are, what did he ask? One talent of silver and two changes of clothing. But the man of God sees his heart and he tells us, and he says, you know, I know what your heart is. You want what? Lots of female servants. You want lots of male servants. You want ship, uh, money and garments and olive orchards and vineyards. I see where your heart is going. I see hell there. In that little, little, little consciousness. Think about it now. Think about it. When we see a, when we speak a small lie, what we call as a white lie, do we see hell? That's the reason why it's called a tongue, it's called a little member, which boasts of great things. How great a fire, a little fire will, will kindle. You see that? Hmm. Another example. John's Gospel chapter 12 verse 4. One of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, when Mary Magdalene, you know, broke this alabaster flask of oil. One of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't the, this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? I mean, he was very upset that the money didn't come into his pocket, basically. I mean, that's exactly what it means. Sorry. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself. <laughs> I like that. Uh, little, 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 he used to steal from the money bag. Are 25, for example, it started with 25 rupees, was the, was a weekly offering. First, he started stealing one rupee. Who will see? 25 rupees, 50 paisa, let's say. 50 paisa, he put it in his pocket. Who will see? Round it off, Jesus. To the nearest decimal. 25.5 is equal to 25. Okay. So he rounded, every time he used to round off, round off, round off, round off, round off, 50 paisa, next day he rounded up, it was 78 rupees, 40 paisa, he said, 78 rupees, kai ko, 8 rupees, 40 paisa, pocket mein, 70 rupees round off. Again it become, next week it become 150 rupees, Are 150 rupees, how can you predict this, 50 rupees, 100 rupees round off, 50 rupees in your pocket, he had round figures, he was changing it every time. And then one day, finally sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. He started off with that small 50% of his pocket. It is a little sin sense. It is the little, little, little lies. See, when you don't have to lie, you lie. That's why. That is the reason why, let's all read this together. The best of men have always been afraid of Little sins. The best of men have always been afraid of little sins. Little, little compromise. Here, a little, there, a little, and eventually you're gone. 
Before God also, before promoting us, He tests us in little things. See? I'll show you this passage in Exodus. Chapter 16. This is after the waters of Mara. Remember the waters of Mara? They come to three days journey. Waters of Mara, there's no water. They all cry out, why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us of thirst? And the water here is bitter and Jesus says, uh, God, uh, uh, God says, tells, instructs Moses to cut off the tree, put it into the water. Water turns from bitter to sweet. Okay. Bitty bought butter, the butter was bitter. So a very similar thing happens. Better butter to make the bitter butter bitter. So something very similar happens and then, um, they're all satisfied and then they take him to the palms of Elim, 12, 70, and they enjoy their life over there. They're very, getting very comfortable. God says, let us pack up now. You enjoyed the palm trees enough. Let's go on a journey. And they are traveling now. They are all hungry. And then they start complaining. And God says, I'm going to do something. I'm going to rain bread. I'm going to rain quail. I'm going to give you bread and protein. Both things. Bread in the night and quail in the morning. Okay? So this is what he says. And he will test them. Look at how he tests them. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's... Okay, everybody. How many? A day's portion every day. And this is exactly what he does. Every day, go to the Bible and get a day's portion. And according to your timings, I mean, you don't have to spend 6-7 hours if you have to work. No, 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 no. That is for me. Okay? I have to spend more than 6-7 hours. I need to spend almost 24 hours sometimes. Okay? It depends. But that is according to your background you have to spend every day. And then look what he says. That I am, I may, I may what? Test them whether they will walk in my law or not. And he gives them a very simple law. What is that? Very, 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 very simple law. On the sixth day when they prepare what they bring, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. In other words, in other words, Every day gather so much. On the sixth day, I will give you twice as much. Okay? And again, in the evening, quail came up, covered the camp, and in the morning, dew lay down, lay around the camp. This is, uh, sorry, quail in the evening and uh, dew in the morning. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, Fine as frost on the ground. When the people saw it, they said to one another, What is it? The same thing. That is what manna means. For they did not know what it was. And Moses said, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. Okay? Every day, I'm going to give you a portion. Then then give us a command. What is the command? He says, Look at what he says. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall each take an omer, according to the number of the persons that each of you has in the tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less, and the miracle happens. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much <laughs> had nothing left over and whoever gathered little had no lack. In other words, people who gathered much, God said, reduce. It went down. And some people who gathered little, it went up. 
Okay, some, some interesting miracle happened. Each of them gathered as much as they could for each day. And then what happened? Moses said, let no one leave any of it over till the morning. Okay, simple command. Okay, please don't leave it till morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till morning and bread worms and it stank. It's amazing. Now think about it, no? What did he say? Don't go, don't leave it till morning. Simple command, finish it off for the day. But what did they do? They left it till morning. Simple command, did they obey? No. Moses was angry with them. He didn't stop there. So what did he say? On the sixth day, how much will I give you? Double. That means you can keep one, some for the sixth day and some for the seventh day. What will happen to it? Will it sink? No, it will not sink. This is miracle. This is miraculous. Okay. So I'm going to, this is amazing things happening in the wilderness. I'm telling you something. You know, miracles are not a sign that your heart is right with God. Just because God is showing you miracles after miracles after miracles, it does not mean that he's pleased with you. He may be, well be very angry with you. In spite of the miracles that he is showing in your lives. But look at what he says. Moses was angry with them. And then what happened? On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread. Two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a solemn rest. A holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil. All that is left over, lay aside and keep it till morning. Nothing will happen to it. But on the sixth, on the seventh day, please don't go out. It's a Sabbath day. What happened? So they laid aside till morning as Moses commanded them and it did not stink. Ah! And there were no worms in it. They were all amazed. Moses said, eat it today for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day which is Sabbath, there will be none. Please don't go unto the vineyard. What happened? And on the seventh day, some people went This is concerning every day. Today, don't store it till tomorrow. It will stink. What did they do? They did not obey. It stank. Sixth day, I will give you twice as much. Enjoy on the seventh day. Don't go out. You will not find any bread. He was teaching them the law of rest. That I am your provision. You don't have to worry about provision. You don't have to work 24 by 7. In other words, one day you just keep it for the Lord. Enjoy your fellowship with Him. I will give you twice as much on the sixth day so that you can enjoy the sixth day as well as the seventh day. Don't go out. Did they obey? No, they did not obey. Then came another law. What we call as a sabbatical year. This is Exodus chapter 16. See, the Lord has given you a Sabbath, therefore the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. Remain each one of you in place. Let no one go on the seventh day. So people rested on the seventh day. That is, some people did not obey. Leviticus chapter 25. This is the sabbatical year. The Lord said to Moses at Mount Sinai, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when you enter the land I am going to give you, the land itself must observe a Sabbath to the Lord. Six years sow your fields and for six years prune your vineyards and gather their crops. But in the seventh year, the land is to have a year of Sabbath rest, a year, a Sabbath to the Lord. Do not sow your fields or prune your vineyards. What am I going to do on the sixth year? I will give you 
double. Don't work on the... From where did it start? It started from with a day. It extended to a year. And then what this, this fellow fellows did? See, because when you don't obey God in the little commands, will you obey God in the big commands? No. What did they do? They worked for six years. They got the double for the sixth year. Seventh year also they went and worked. Simple command. And then what happens? In Second Chronicles chapter 36, he carried into exile to Babylon the remnant who escaped from the sword and they became servants to him and to his successors until the kingdom of Persia came to power. What happened? The land enjoyed its Sabbath rest for 70 years. You know why? Because for 490 years they did not keep the Sabbath rest. Started with a small day and became a big year. So you, if you cannot honor God in the little things, you will never honor God in the beginning. That's how he tested them and they all failed. And think about it, no? For us, in our context, I was telling the people in yesterday's Bible study, no, of all the ten commandments, there's one, every commandment, for example, if you commit adultery, you should be put to death. If you do not honor your father and mother, if you curse your father and mother, you should put to, you should be put to death. If you do not honor the Sabbath day, and if you are found working on a Sabbath, what should you do? You should be put to death. Now, if you think about it, which is a greater commandment? To honor your father and mother and not to curse them, is it a greater commandment? Or to honor the Sabbath is a greater commandment? Which is a simpler commandment? You see? To honor the Sabbath is a simpler commandment rather than commanding. You will say, how many of you will come on every Sunday and say, Pastor, I did not steal, I did not commit a murder, I did not commit adultery. I was very fine. I kept all the commandments. But, you know, I had to work, you know... My salary is not sufficient. Over time, I had to do. You know what? According to the law, if if you are found working on the seventh day, they were supposed to take you and put you to death. It's very serious. Small commandment, big commandment. You know, it says there's a there's a saying in Telugu, "Chinna pamukura, petta karadona Even if it's a small snake, you should use a big stick to kill it. Otherwise, it will just breed, become bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and it will destroy your life. So little, little, little commandments. So, you know, I, I showed you uh, the, the problem. What is the remedy? If, it's, if I just give you the diagnosis and don't give you a prescription, there's no point in giving you the diagnosis. So what is the prescription to this? One of the prescriptions, always keep a sensitive and a clear conscience with God. Train your conscience and say, Lord, when I disobey in the little commands, Lord, convict me. Convict me when I'm doing little, little things. For example, if you go, if you, if I, in the context of your, of your companies, I say, let's say, for example, if you are supposed to take a break for five minutes, and if you take the break for more than five minutes and you go beyond five minutes, ask the Lord to convict you. If you say, Are, 10 minutes. It starts with 10 minutes and then you will steal the software. It starts with 10 minutes. I'm telling you honestly, it will start with 5 minutes and you will steal the software. Little, little books. One of the things that I had to do, I had to return all the books to my to my institute. You wouldn't believe the things that have, that they, 
There was one book which I borrowed, 7,000 rupees book. <laughs> okay, and then I was not able to find it. I went and said, so, sorry, I'm not able to find it. I'm, so, and I asked my prof, sir, please, can you help me here? Sorry, etc. He said, okay, fine, I'll pay you from the lab, etc. I was feeling so disturbed. I said, Lord, how could I be so careless? Little things. And then, thankfully, I found it. <laughs> and the company didn't lose when I left. Keep a sensitive, clear conscience with the Lord when you even disobey the little things as God to convict you. If it, see, if the, if your conscience doesn't bother you in little things, let me tell you something. Over a period of time, your conscience will not bother you in the big things. I'll show you an example. I'm not, this is, this is from scripture. Look at what it says in 1st Samuel chapter 24. This is when Saul is there after running after David's life and he's in the cave of one of the caves and David Goes with 3,000 of his, I mean, a bunch of his men and he goes and finds Saul relieving himself. And then men said, this day the Lord spoke of, uh, this is the day the Lord spoke of and he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with you, uh, with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. What did he do? Slowly went. He didn't want to kill. He was somehow, he was getting a little scared. To even raise the hand against God's anointed. So what did he do? Slowly cut off a small rope. In other words, no, Saul was not watching. Nobody was watching. But only God was watching. Nobody, it happens, you know. Little, little things you would speak against uh, eldership, for example. Ah, you know, Pastor James. Uh, this one off comment comes out of your mouth. You know what, what you have done? You have Done a small scissor. Ah, it's like this. I'm telling you honestly, this has happened. I've seen it with my own eyes. How people compromise in little, little things and cutting off ropes out of men of God's garments and they are not even convicted after they have stripped them naked. Isn't it amazing? That was a sin of Ham. And therefore Ham is not kosher. Stripped his father and he was not even convicted. And some people like Japheth and Shem, they said, I don't even want to know anything. And they go backwards and cover the nakedness of their father. And I'm telling you, I'm so surprised to see believers, mature believers who can strip people's garments in their private conversations. And their conscience will not bother them. At all, one bit. Cut off. What does he do? He goes and cuts off a small part of the garment. And then what happens? He goes home. After what David was conscious stricken, I love that. What did he do? Small part of the robe he cut off. And then his conscience started bothering him. Think about it. How it starts. How Does it happen to all of you? When you do a little, little, little compromise, does it bother your conscience? What did he do? He's cut off the 
corner of his robe. I don't know how many centimeters square it was. Maybe it was two centimeters square of his garment he chopped off. That two centimeters square garment did not give him rest the whole night. Can you sleep? He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed. But think about it, no? This guy wants to kill him and his conscience stricken to strip off his robe, to cut a small portion of his robe. And so many people I've seen in Christendom, the people have, the eldership has only blessed them and they don't even have a conscience when they strip them off. Where did it all happen? It started with little, 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 little compromises in their lives. And over a period of time, their conscience has been seared. It doesn't even bother them anymore when they when they can just slander and gossip and call all kinds of names. He said to these men, Lord forbid. With these words, David sharply rebuked his, sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. But think about it, no? When you do a small sin and you get a sharp rebuke, how do you respond? It's a, it's a test of your heart. Do you see hell in small compromises? It's a test of your heart. Young children, little children, young people, my dear younger brothers and sisters, Ask God to give you a sensitive conscience and keep it sensitive all the days of your life. Oh, don't, when it bothers you, don't ever, you know, negotiate with it and say, Lord, until my conscience is clear, I will not sleep, I will not rest. And look at this. David was consistent in his life. It doesn't matter if he stripped the rope or somebody else did it. Second Samuel chapter 1. This is after, you know, uh, Saul commits suicide. He falls on the own on his own knife and he dies. Then what happens? This is an Amalekite who comes to David and he says, he asked him, who are you? An Amalekite I answered. Then he said to me, stand here by me and kill me. I am in the throes of death, but I am still alive. Meaning, Amalekite, this Amalekite was thinking that he can get some brownie points from David. He's lying. Saul committed suicide. He was thinking, if I get if I tell them, tell David that I killed Saul, he will be very happy. Sabashi bolega or mujhe, he's gonna make me my right hand, his right hand. So I stood beside him and killed him because I knew that after he had fallen, he could not survive. And I took the crown that was on his head and a band on his arm and I brought them here to my Lord. He's trying to flatter David. But David is not gonna get flattered. So David said to the young man who brought him the report, who are you? He said, I'm an Amalekite. David asked him, why weren't you afraid to lift your hand to destroy Lord's mind? Consistent. David called one of his men and said, go strike him down. So he struck him down and he died. But David said to him, your blood be upon your head. Your own mouth testified against you when you said, I killed the Lord's anointed. That is the reason why Jesus said, uh, every idle word I you have to give an account. By your words you will be justified. By your words you will be condemned. Therefore be very careful how you speak. So 
strive my dear brothers and sisters to keep your conscience clear with god every day you know what you should say lord little think about it no you would have done little things today <laughs> for sure right right from the time that you were awake little 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 compromises that you've done did it bother your conscience acts 24:16 this is paul the secret of his life so i strive always to keep my conscience clear before what god and man therefore what i say to you and myself and all is this train your conscience regularly by obeying the least of the commandments of god least a second thing it does not take long to black backslide it does not take how long you will ask how long does it take to take me to black slide i'll tell you how long one year or maybe you say one year is too much six months or oh, six months also is too much uh three months uh slightly too much um what about one month i think it's still too much one week ah uh, one week is okay Look at what scripture says hebrews chapter 30 13 see to it brothers this is not 13 3 sorry not 13 313 see uh, hebrews chapter 3 see to it brothers and sisters that none of you has a sinful unbelieving heart that turns away from living from the living god but encourage one another so how many time, how much time does it take to for you to get back, to to backslide 24 hours is enough 24 hours mein gone you see you see how how scripture how it analyzes 24 hours in other words within 24 hours if you do not set things right with god your heart will be hardened by the deceitfulness sin 24 hours is sufficient for you to backslide how many of you believe that with all of your heart 24 hours mein <laughs> you know it right not sometimes you say baba 24 hours kya 15 minutes 5 minutes 1 second is enough for me to backslide 1 second i'm on a slippery slope we all on a slippery slope we are always like one step away from jumping into hell literally one click away one song away involuntarily sometimes we have the car and suddenly sometimes we don't have the cd the fm comes up and fm comes atam are kya ho raha hai one song is enough and you say it is stop 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 don't 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 switch it off switch it off keep your conscience clear keep short accounts with god don't give exhort one another now think about it no it says even as you see that day approaching what should you do you should gather as frequently as possible do you see how many people really take that command seriously do you think that i have not backslidden you are fooling yourself fooling your you are making a fool of yourself you're deceiving yourself if you, if you think that me missing one meeting nothing is going to happen it will start with one meeting it starts with that and i know it even in our own church it starts with one meeting slowly another meeting and slowly 
one meet another meeting and another meeting and another meeting so they'll just, you know they'll taper off asymptotically taper off slowly another thing don't grieve the holy spirit keep your conscience clear doesn't take long to backslide don't grieve the holy spirit because he is the one who brings conviction look at what it says in ephesians chapter 4 verse 30 onwards do not grieve the holy spirit of god with whom you have you were sealed for the day of redemption get rid of all bitterness rage and anger brawling and slander along with every form of malice don't grieve the holy spirit why should you not grieve the holy spirit john's gospel chapter 16 will say why should you not do it when he comes he will convict the world of sin of righteousness and of judgment you think about it no think about it the more you walk with the lord should you become more sensitive to sin or less sensitive to sin in fact it should increase and it says in romans chapter 14 verse 23 anything which is not of faith even if you eat i mean can you imagine the the elisha it's i i whenever i see about talk about whenever somebody talks about eating i only think about elisha and the shunamite woman what was he doing every day he was passing by there his by the shunamite woman's home she used to invite him for did he do one miracle no no miracle no blessing no bible study he went and ate with them and one day she said this man is a man of god you know think about it no if when people see you eating the way you eat as if there is no tomorrow see so i've seen that so so incredible sign of your heart and the way people eat and this guy is not even saying anything he is just eating and she is this guy is a man of god another thing you go and do a miracles in somebody's home and this guy another guy called elijah goes to this woman's home and he does a miracle and one day the man the baby dies you know what she says Did you come here to bring what? My my simple remembrance. How did he just? How did he behave in that woman's house for so many days? He just the very presence of a man of God. I mean, I'll tell you something. No, one man is sufficient to restrain sin in an entire mob. One man is sufficient. Think about it. Just one man, Moses, goes to the top of the mountain for forty days. He doesn't come back, and the entire clan sins. Think about it. The restraining power of how many men? One man who strives to live with a clear conscience with God. One man. One man. You know that's what Paul says. After I go, someone ravenous wolves will come. When I was there, you know, I would never allow anything to be corrupted from this pulpit. But after I come, ravenous wolves will come. from your own flock people will start deceiving others and drawing themselves drawing them back uh, after themselves so one man can change one man be that man be that woman one man in your office can convict the entire office one woman can convict the entire office one man so that is what we say do not grieve the holy spirit god him god him he is so sensitive he is like a dove 
you know, uh, pigeons, right? And we have pigeons in our, they come and put, put their nests in our uh, AC, this thing, right? Fan. The moment I go and do, what does it do? Flies away. That's exactly what the Holy Spirit is. So sensitive. You do, he just flies away. He doesn't want there. Very sensitive. And if you lose that touch, God help us. Another thing. Cultivate a healthy fear of God. Oh, my dear brothers and sisters, I can go on and on on this topic. Why? You know, there are two kinds of fear of God. One is a fear that God will punish. That is all the pagans, that's how they do. If you are no better than a pagan, if you fear God, that he will punish you. I mean, it's good to have that kind of fear, but you are equal to a Gentile. No difference between a Gentile and you as long as that, as far as that fear is concerned. But there is another fear. You know, what is that healthy fear of God? It is not that God will punish me and hurt me, that I will hurt God. It is not that he will hurt me, but that I will hurt him. That is a healthy fear of God. How do I know it? First Peter chapter 1. And if you call him as father, verse 17 onwards, if you call, call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with what? Fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed. Why? Why should you conduct yourself with fear? Because you were ransomed. From your futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as gold and silver, but by the precious blood of Christ. He died for you. Even a small sin, Christ not to die. Therefore, create and cultivate a healthy fear of God. I don't want to hurt God. I don't want to hurt Him. I don't want to spit on His face. No, I don't want to do that. Hebrews chapter 6. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit. What is it? It is impossible. I was telling the Bible study, who wrote Hebrews? Nobody knows. Otherwise, you would have called that fellow false prophet. God, God knew. So he kept anonymous. Who wrote Hebrews? Nobody knows. So you will all agree that God wrote it because it is in the Bible. So you will not say Paul is a false prophet, Barnabas. No, no, God, I think, deliberately hid the (laughs) authorship of the book of Hebrews. It is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit and tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they have fallen away, to restore them again to repentance. Why? Since they are crucifying once again the Son of God and they are holding holding him up to Contempt or open shame. Be afraid of hurting God. That is what is a healthy fear of God. I don't want to hurt him. I don't want to hurt him. I don't want to grieve him. You know, you need to understand what, what, when you, uh, raise up children in your own home, whenever they go against you, they should say, Lord, I don't want to hurt my dad. My dad is going to be very hurt. So many people, you know, I know some children, they say, Mama, if my dad knows, he's going to kill me. That is gentle fear of God. Oh, if my dad comes to know, he'll be so broken. I don't have my wife's permission, but I can share her testimony. 
No, she, her father till date doesn't know that she watched a movie in a theater. <laughs> Without his knowledge, they all went. And you know, she said, hey, I don't want to tell my dad. He'll be hurt. Let him at least have the assumption that he brought up good children. You know, that's a good fear of God. I don't want to hurt him. I don't want to hurt him. You have that kind of a reverence for God? You're so afraid that you will hurt him. You are so afraid that you will hurt your, your parents or your spiritual parents. You are so, you don't want to hear anything bad about you to them because they will be hurt. That is a good fear of God. That's a good fear of fellowship. Finally, cultivate a healthy devotion life with Jesus. It's called the song of songs. Meaning it's a song of all songs. You take every love song, love songs ka baap hai, in other words. That's what it means, song of songs. Song of all songs, chapter 2. This is what it says. Oh my dove, in the clefts of the rock and the crannies of the cliff, let me see your face. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. That's what he does, right? He hides us in the cleft of the rock so that he can come and have a relationship with us. He wants to commune with us and hear his voice. It's a love song that he's singing to his bride. Oh, my dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the crannies of the cliff, let me see your face, let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. You know what he says? Catch the foxes for us. What kind of foxes? The little, little foxes that spoil the vineyards for our vineyards are in. Oh, those little, little, little sins that there are there in your, in your, in your, in your, in your garden. You know, Jesus is saying, catch those fellows, those little foxes, catch them. Because this is a vineyard. This is our relationships being compared to a vineyard. It's, it's, it's a vineyard. You know, vineyard has to be tender. Otherwise, all kinds of things will grow up and in no time you'll have grass growing all over the place and it'll be a complete, total mess. And those little, 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 little foxes will come and spoil that devotion. Catch those little foxes. Catch them. Don't neglect them. I'll ask you this question now. How much, how many of us have that kind of a sweet time with Jesus? Every day of our lives. We have that sweet time. I'm beginning to cultivate now. I'm going for a walk regularly. I just keep listening and I'm praying. I said, Lord, you know, this is awesome. I want to have that time. I want to cultivate that garden with God. Where he's going to speak to me in those clefts. And he's going to give me the grace to catch those little foxes. Very difficult to catch those little foxes. Those fellows will be running here and there. They're very elusive. So little sins are like that. They're so elusive. They don't seem to be great. But you know what he's saying? Catch those little foxes there. Catch them. Kill them. Don't, don't ever, ever compromise with them. Oh. Now that's for today. Catch those little foxes. Time's up. Even the presentation said, both baat kar liya, stop now. You see, catch. Think about it. How, how, what, how's your standard today? Have you compromised? Do you say, Lord, raise the standard, raise the bar. Or do you try to bring God down to your level when he's always trying to bring him, you to his level? Be holy 
as i am holy is a suggestion is a every let, let let us all say it is a ah it is a command it's not a suggestion be holy as i am holy and he wants us to be there he enjoys us he wants us to cultivate that relationship with him so that he will show us all those little 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 foxes in our lives so that we can destroy them amen let's pray father we thank you we praise you you're a good god lord your mercy and yours forever lord you said in your word it is good that i was afflicted then i learned your judgments and your ways i learned your fear i pray father every one of us over here oh lord will not compromise on little little things or little little commandments that you taught us you showed us over the years oh lord little commandments to be regular to church on sunday morning to be on time oh lord so many of us still struggle there i pray lord jesus that we will begin there oh lord in those little 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 areas so that we can become strong pillars in your kingdom so that we can fell those big big giants in our lives oh lord father Thank you father for this time that you blessed us with. Thank you father once again we commit our shepherd into your hands pastor James oh lord even as he ministers to so many people through these coming days oh lord i pray you would anoint him keep him father under the covering oh lord of your wings oh lord hide him from the secret counsel of the wicked from the insurrection of the workers of iniquity oh father i pray lord jesus that you guide him oh lord and lord take him to different different places that you have ordained even before the foundation of the world all the pastors you whom you have ordained father i pray that you bring them all oh lord jesus and let them all have a blessed time oh lord father thank you thank you father for this time but even as we go back home take us home safely thank you father for this time that you blessed us with in jesus mighty name amen